You're listening to the Hindu Business Line's Field Notes podcast with T.R. Vivek. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome once again to Field Notes, the weekly podcast on all things agribusiness. I'm your host, T.R. Vivek. Chickpea or chana is the most important pulse crop for India. India produces nearly 80% of the global chana output. It is both uh, culturally and nutritionally significant. Diwali has just gone by. No matter which part of the country you are from, I'm, flo- I'm sure chickpea flour or basin would have been part of your celebration in some form or the other, be it laddus or mixture. Chana contains about 18 to 20% protein, which makes it an, a very, very important and inexpensive source of protein for the poor in India and large parts of even Africa. This week, scientists from 11 countries led by the Hyderabad-based International Crop Research Institute for Semi-Arid Tropics or ICRISAT, an international organization which conducts uh, agri-research, published a new paper in the international peer-reviewed journal Nature. The uh, research based on whole genome sequencing of uh, more than 3,300 varieties of chickpeas from across the world provides fresh insights into the evolution of chana, uh, its origins, and the ability to breed climate-resilient and high-yielding chickpea varieties in fast-track mode. The research, in a manner of speaking, will help scientists to add to chana's good karma and reduce the bad to make it even better for humanity. And let me assure you, the whole genome sequencing of more than 3,000 varieties of a crop is no mean feat. To tell us more about the research and its implications, we are today joined by Dr. Rajiv Vashne, the paper's lead author uh, and one of the world's top agri-scientists, who is the research program director for genetic gains at ICRISAT. Welcome to Field Notes once again, Rajiv. Thank you very much, Mr. Vivek. It's my pleasure to be on the Field Note. Thank you. Rajiv, let me begin by asking you if chana is indeed should 100% desi. Very good question. So yes, chana is desi, but we call it two different type of those uh, names. One is desi, another is kabuli. And the, the, base, the major difference between this desi and kabuli is the desi chana is in brown color, small sized, and Kavli is the white one, bigger in that size. In Northern India, when you go there, when I'm sure you love Chole Bhature. So when we make this Chole, they're always from the Kavli Chana. But when we talk about chickpea flour, like Besan, this is from the Desi Chana. And the reason that why we call the Desi and Kavli, I think this is just simple because of that migration of Chana from its center of origin to India. Our study, as you mentioned, that based on these 3,366 genomes, identified the center of origin of chickpea in the fertile crescent in the in that Mediterranean region. And then during the course of evolution, there were the two paths of the migration of chickpea. One was to South Asia and East Africa. And when we say South Asia, that came to India at that time. And the chana or the chickpea came at that time point to India. That's basically desi chana. And the other pathway was through the, the Afghanistan, Central Asia or so. And when chana entered in this side, then this is called kabli. So this, that's the region we call it desi and kabli 
chana mm-hmm. uh, raji why is um, uh, knowledge about paleo agronomy important uh, why do we need to know uh, the origins of a certain crop and why is it such a big deal well so what happened that when we are talking about agriculture and all of us are always interested to enhance the crop productivity and for that we need to have the genetic diversity the good genes and during the course of domestication when chana was domesticated about 10000 years back and then subsequently about 100 years back when we started to have the breeding breeding means that scientists start to develop the new varieties from the land races which were grown in nature so during the course of this domestication and the breeding we have reduced the genetic diversity now the new chickpea varieties are only having or they are coming up they are there there from that hybridization of select varieties so now when we know the center of origin then what we can do that we can i and that the chickpea or any crop for that matter when you go to the center of origin in that area that that land races or the accessions from that area are having more genetic diversity so now when we know the center of origin it clearly indicates that if we take the chickpea accessions from that area will be having more diversity we need to identify the genes associated with the different traits and then we can bring those genes in the current set of the elite varieties and we will be able to produce much more higher yielding chickpea varieties which we need to deliver to the farmers as you mentioned that 80% of chana is coming from india and india in fact needs more chana because of being the vegetarian population in large number and to meet the demand we need to have much more higher production of chana and if we would like to achieve this thing we need to use the modern approaches for that purpose we need to have the good genes which provide that higher yield and we need to have the higher genetic diversity that's the reason we are more we, we need to have the information about the center of origin about the migration of chickpea or chana from the center of origin to the different parts of the world rajiv before we come to the modern agricultural applications of the research tell us a little bit more about the evolution of the chana crop uh, how far in history can the origin of chana be dated back to thank you vivek so i think this is good question so what happened that uh, basically that human evolution and agriculture evolution this goes hand in hand and you know that uh, when human evolution was happening they needed to have something for eating initially they were eating meat so they were just killing the animals and then taking care of their their food demands but slowly they start to realize that well they can also eat something else than meat and from that perspective if you see the agriculture history then this dates back about 10000 years back and i think that uh, based on the data what we have they say that majority of the agricultural crop species were originated 10000 years back and there were different centers of the hot spot or agriculture domestication 
and one of the key domestication center was the fertile crescent in Mediterranean region, where crops like chickpea, wheat, barley, those things were originated from that part of the world. In the parallel, there were many other crops origin was happening or domestication like maize that was happening in, in South America, rice in Asia, so like those kind of things. So anyway, so let's go back to this Chennai story. So when this 10,000 years back, what human might have done that they realized that, well, this chana, or you can see these pots, they are really good in eating and they are getting their tummy fill. And what you do that, then they start to take the seeds from there and then start to grow. And this process called domestication that from the land race, they started to go in the direction of farming. And when you do these things, then they already have an idea, oh, they should take this plant, this is better, or they should not take this plant. So then they started to select the better plants or so. So this was this domestication of chickpea. And uh, based on this domestication, when human was migrating to the different continents, and few minutes back, I was talking that how chickpea might, might have migrated and we had these two different paths. So what was happening that one path that some human when they came from that part to that South Asia and East Africa, they brought chickpea in that side. The another one, they went to the Black Sea and Central Asia, including Afghanistan. So they brought this chana from that side. So during this kind of migration, these human, they were bringing the chana, they started to grow in that, in that field. And as we know, until 19th century, so before 1900 or we did not have the major issue of that producing more food because we had a lot of lands and you are having these crop seeds or so. You just put these things, you just enhance the area, the field, you will have more produce. But especially after uh, just about 100 years back and after the Mendel's law of discovery in 1870s or so, then this new science has started plant breeding. And the idea is that how we can develop the new varieties, which will be providing more yield. So a lot of stuff in terms of the development of variety started around 100 years back. And then we are having these new set of the varieties. So now what we see these varieties, they're having higher yield. They also got some genes associated with the different traits. But during this process, either initially human or later stage scientists, they kept on selecting only few lines. So as a result, you reduce the diversity. And this is one of the major objective nowadays for the plant breeding community, that how we can enhance the diversity, how we can enhance the yield, how we can enhance the nutrition. From this perspective, these new information, the modern genome science information are very, very helpful. Rajiv, tell us why the whole genome sequencing of 3000 plus varieties of chana, why is that significant? And what, what are the complexities involved in, in whole genome sequencing? And uh, uh, you were telling me that, you know, that this is not being done for too many crops in the world uh, on the whole. Way back in 2013, we assembled the first chickpea genome. And when we do this thing, so genome is basically the entire set of the genes and these genes they are present on the chromosomes and chromosomes is having the DNA. So chromosomes are made of the DNA. And when we say that in the case of chickpea, the genome size is 780 megabase pairs. 
So mega base pair like those nucleotide kind of thing, A, C, G, T. So they are in the form like beads in a chain or so. And what we need to do that we need to just read all these letters. And if we start to read this letter and we put them in the correct order, we put, that's the reason we call it sequencing. So we need to determine the sequence of these letters. And we need to start reading from one, from, from the start to the end of the 700 meter, 780 megabase per long threads or so, which is a big job. But nevertheless, way back in 2030, we have sequenced the first chickpea genome. And then we understood about 28,000 genes in that particular variety. And we were very successful to use that genome information to develop the new varieties. ICRISAT together with its national partner here in India, like ICR, IRI, ICR, IAPR, University of Agriculture Sciences, Raichur, and also Ethiopian Institute of Agriculture Research in Ethiopia. We already have delivered seven different chickpea varieties, which are tolerant to drought, resistance to the different diseases. So this is great. But now we would like to go to the next level. And for reaching to that next level, we realize, like many other crop community, that having one chickpea genome does not provide the solution. This may not provide the entire set of the genes in which we are interested. Then we ask the question that we need to sequence more genomes. At that time point, we had really good discussions with the, the then secretary, Dr. S. Patnayak from Ministry of Agriculture and Farmers Welfare from Government of India. And based on the discussions with him, Director of Indian Institute of Pulses Research, Dr. N.P. Singh, Director General of ICR, Dr. T. Mohopatra, at that time point, Deputy Director General of Crop Science, Dr. Sopandatta, and many other scientists, we discussed what we should do. At that time, we thought, let's have more sequencing information. Now, which one? So you ask this question that why 3,000? Because at ICRIS at GeneBank, we are having about 20,000 accessions, which are coming from more than 80 countries around the world. When you mean accessions, you mean 20,000 different varieties in layman. You can say 20,000 varieties. I'm not using the word varieties because in the technical term, varieties are the those lines which are grown by the farmers okay. or which are the released by the government. But yes, they are like varieties. So you got the seeds of those individuals. So we, we have these 20,000 accesses. Now, based on their passport information from which country they are coming, what kind of traits they have, what kind of diversity they are having, our gene bank scientist at that time point had a, a smaller set of the germ plant, about 3,000 lines. So we thought that these 3,000 lines, they represent the genetic diversity of entire 20,000 accessions. So we should start the sequencing of those 3,000. And at that time, we planned to have these 3,000, the cultivated one, the land races. But then we also had the wild species, so we added some more wild species. As a result, this number reaches 3,366. So that's the reason that we selected this set. In terms of the complexity, what you do that you, you cannot read, you cannot sequence 760 megabase per reads, which distance goes in the kilometers. And this is several thousands kilometers or so, so you cannot do so. But what we can do, we cut the DNA in the smaller pieces, we put them in the machines, and then machine provide the sequencing data of like 110, 110 bases, 200 bases, 400 bases. 
and then we start to read. And then what we do that we make these DNA in several millions of the fragments and we keep on sequencing those millions of the fragments many times. That's the reason we say we have sequenced each genome 10x to 30x that each fragment we sequenced minimum 10 times up to 30 times. And based on their overlaps regions, we assemble those genomes and we determined that order of those sequences. So this is very complex and for that, we have done a lot of collaboration around the world. As you can see that we are having the scientists from more than 11 countries and together with them, we have, so this is very complex. Like for instance, what kind of order, which genes, what these genes annotate, all these information. And based on these things, we realized that by sequencing all these 3030 genes, uh, 3366 exons we found about more than 1500 new genes, which were not present in our 2013 paper. So this is point number one. Point number two, we also did the phenotyping. Phenotyping means agronomic evaluation of these 3000 lines or varieties, if you would like to call, at six different locations in India for two different years. You mean growing them in different locations, actually monitoring yes. their, their physical growth? Yeah, so growing them and then also trying to ask the question to see which line showing higher resistance or lower resistance to different diseases and drought, heat, total yield. And then based on these yield, etc., then we try to identify the good genes. As we said earlier that, well, good genes means that they are providing the higher crop performance. You can call it like from Indian mythology perspective, good karma. So each of us do some good karma, but some of us unknowingly, we also do some bad karma. And after our death, when our soul, I'm talking Indian mythology, and then the God, this can be Hindu God or Islamic God or Christian God, doesn't matter. But then they do the account, how many good karmas you did, how many bad karmas you did, and now what is your fate? You should go to heaven or you should go to hell. Same thing in the case of chickpea or for that matter, any crop, you got some good genes, you got some bad genes. And what the breeders have been doing in past, or even the human, when this agriculture started 10,000 years back, they kept on selecting chickpea in such a manner that you are having good genes, good genes, good genes. And they were trying to remove the bad genes, bad genes, bad genes. Now in the current set of the variety, we got the good genes, you are having higher yield, but we also have the bad genes. And we call technical terminology deleterious alleles. So what we are trying to do, and this is the first time that we have identified the set of those deleterious alleles or bad genes. And our hypothesis, our approaches to the, our breeding community, the crop improvement community, friends, let's not just focus on the good genes which are required, but let's also focus to delete or to purge those deleterious alleles or the bad genes, then also you can enhance the crop performance. So I think if we wouldn't have done the sequencing of these 3000, we wouldn't have reached to that stage. So I think that this is really good that uh, from this study, we identified basic knowledge like center of origin, migration routes, also these kind of things, the genetic load or genetic burden, which are lowering the crop performance. And for agriculture perspective, we also identified the good genes. Right. Uh, Rajiv, if I remember about uh, a few decades ago, 
chana was almost considered an orphan crop you know by that i mean about a crop uh, about which not much genetic information was available you know from that today to you know having whole genome sequencing of so many accessions or or varieties uh, why has that happened and, and i'll i'll take you back to my earlier question give us a give us a comparison with some other crops uh, you know which which are analyzed in 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 such an extensive manner thank you thank you vivek and i think uh, i'm glad that you have recognized and you asked this question and this is also very extensively discussed at international level now as well so you are right so chickpea used to be called an orphan crop because of two reasons one that in terms of the genomic resources not much genome information because at international level there were not many groups research groups who were working on these crops because there was not much funding no investment and like those kind of things and when i joined decree set way back in 2005 and i as i told you earlier i came from germany so i thought at that time point that we need to make these crops we need to put these crops in the elite groups and if you consider from that perspective some crops like wheat maize rice these crops if you see the legumes then soya bean so these are the three four important crops the whole world is working you got lot of information on those crops how because of the power of the technology and i will say the partnerships around the world we took this challenge and we are very glad to share that we have assembled this chickpea genome way back in 2013 and those barley wheat genome or although wheat and barley they are the complex genome rice genome is simpler that genome was assembled way back in 2005 but nevertheless our crops including chickpea they already made to that group at that time point where we had the whole genome sequence available now if we think from the perspective of those sequencing of larger number of lines you would be happy to note that this is the first time and when you do the sequencing you can realize or you can you can assess the importance from the two at the two fronts one is the number of lines of variety you sequence the second is the sequencing at what kind of depth or what kind of coverage our study provides that largest number of sequencing at the whole genome level before that there was only rice where they sequenced 3000 and our data in or our paper reports 3366 so in the terms of numbers we are higher there is another group in germany my former institute ipk gartners 11 from where where i was working for 5 years and i was involved in those initial work in barley genomics and i feel very happy that i think two years back the barley community led by ipk gardens lab in germany they also reported the sequencing of 20000 but not of the whole genome coverage there was coverage what very very low, low about 1x coverage etc in the case of wheat there were some papers they are having few hundred few thousand maize few thousand so, soya bean few thousand so if you see from that perspective chickpea is really now the elite crop and we feel very pride very satisfied very happy that from the genomics perspective you can do anything in the case of chickpea now what you can do in the case of rice maize wheat and soya bean and this is considered a very good thing even in, if you see from the journal perspective nature is the top most science journal 
I doubt that we had any kind of possibility or that, that we can have the chickpea science paper in those journals. But during last three, last from the 2013, we had our paper in Nature Biotechnology in 20s, then it later, I think two, three years back in 2019, we had a paper in Nature Genetics. Now we are having the paper in Nature. So this highlights the value of this work and also elevation of chickpea crop from orphan crop to the elite group of the crops where you got not only one genome, thousands of the genomes at the higher depth. Right. Uh, Rajiv, uh, you, you mentioned about uh, uh, the good karma and bad karma and the, the deleterious alleles and purging them out. Um, would that would that mean uh, gene editing? And uh, I ask you because is gene editing yeah. as a technology allowed in India? Yes. So for 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 fixing those bad alleles or deleterious alleles, so that you should not be having the bad karma. And for that purpose, you can do these things by two different methods. One is the tradition, like when you do the breeding, so by using the genomics associated breeding. So when you take the one line, two line, make the cross, and when you got the progeny, you do the genome profiling and try to find the lines who are having the bad karma genes. So you can not select. And so in that manner, you can parse those alleles. You can always go for the lines which are having the good alleles. This is one. It may take time because several generations, etc. Other quick approach may be gene editing. So because alleles means the nucleotide. So for instance, in a given gene, if you got a nucleotide and based on the information, we need to figure it out that this A allele is the good karma. Now, instead of A, if you are having C or T allele, then this is the bad karma. So now through the gene editing, what you can do, you can replace that C or T by A, or you can fix it. And this process called gene editing. So in India, many groups are working on gene editing from the research perspective, there is no issue, but in terms of the and commercialization of the products coming through gene editing, I'm very hopeful that we will be having very soon the guidelines in this direction. Department of Biotechnology, Government of India, they already have set up some guidelines, the first or the preliminary draft already in the public domain. So I think in coming years, we will be having the guidelines of genome editing. So I don't see any issue. And but if we would like to fix these bad karma through gene editing, perfectly fine. If we would like to go through genomics assisted breeding, that's also fine. We need to use any of those approaches. Right. Are you tell us about the potential of uh, the uh, incremental yield gains that we can have and that we need in India uh, so badly at this point of time, given the uh, issues around nutrition security. Uh, how can how can your research help and how has it helped in the near past? So thank you. This is a good question. Now what happens? And this is a bit complex. And I will like to dissect in the three different components. One is that you need to have the high yielding varieties and which is in the hand of many of us scientists. And when I say scientists, geneticists, breeders, etc. So we need to come up with the high yielding varieties by using these modern information, which I was talking. Second is sometimes you got those varieties, but they are not reaching to the farmers in the real time. And there is an issue of the seed system. So basically the farmers are not having the access to the high yielding varieties. Third is 
that when you got even farmers got the access to the high yielding varieties but then they don't have the information about agronomy agronomy means at what time you should do the sowing what time you should do the irrigation what time you should do that insecticide spray or like those kind of things this is agronomy now we need to fix we need to work in all the three different directions and good news is that in india during last 4 5 years a all the three different areas have been doing good work so for instance we we delivered several improved varieties when i say we not only ecrisat or our national partners the inter country community also so like for instance either through the traditional breeding some of the genomics assisted breeding initially when people were doing the traditional breeding then you are having the incremental gain so little little every year kind of thing when you go to the genomics assisted breeding then you can have the higher quantum leap also and the new approach which i will talk that i think this 3000 sequencing project is going to change the breeding landscape i will talk about later but nevertheless you need to have really big jump now first component is that we need to make those gains second is that seed system so during last 4 years 4 5 years due to government of india's favorable policies efforts of indian council of agriculture research there were good work that farmers were provided that seeds of the new varieties and also the information in agronomy or so and also the area was enhanced under the chickpea production as a result chickpea production has been increased significantly during last 3 4 years having said that if you see from the pulses perspective india traditionally was growing about 18 million ton pulses until recently until 2 3 years back but india needs according to the icmr indian council of medical research recommendations that how much protein we need from that perspective india needs even now about 30 million pulses somehow india has done great job that during last 3 4 years we already have reached from 18 to 24 million ton and this is just because of all these three things government policy high yielding varieties the seeds and agronomy we reached this 24 million ton now how to go further the thing is country like india you just don't need chickpea you need wheat you need rice you need lentil you need sugarcane you need all different crops now you cannot keep on enhancing the area for chickpea because if you will enhance then for some other crop the area will go down so now instead of horizontal expansion horizontal growth we need to have the vertical growth how we can go to the vertical growth so for instance the chickpea yield potential is in the range of 3 to 4 tons per hectare right now farmers are growing more than one few years back they were growing just one ton less than one ton but now we already reach 1.5 two tons etc so now the thing is that how we can make this quantum jump and for that we need these kind of genomic approaches and i can elaborate further if you wish that how we can go further in this aspect yeah rajiv yes briefly the other important uh, insights from your research about uh, the haplogroups that you are talking about you know if you can mention a little bit about that yeah so what is happening that basically so far scientists have been working and we also are the part of that group that when you identify the genes and then good genes and you introgress them you remember in my earlier podcast i talked about the drought tolerance because we got some drought tolerance related genes and we introgress them and then we got high yielding varieties 
And now what is happening that those drought tolerant genes be identified from one particular variety or accessor. And that's the beauty of this high genome density data or so that now we don't have the information just from one or two genotypes. We got the genome information from the 3000. Right. Now for the drought tolerant genes, which we had earlier, based on these 3000 genome sequence data, we can analyze that for that particular gene, what kind of variations are present in these 3000 lines. And when we say the variation in the genes, and then when you combine the variation of these genes in a group of the genes or block of the genes, we call it haplotype. So haplotype is basically combination of genes with a particular nucleotide composition. Because we got these 3000 chickpea genome information now. So what you can do that for each gene, you can identify the haplotypes. Now, when we will analyze the drought tolerant genes, which I talked in earlier podcast, and when we go through all these 3000, then for this particular QTL hotspot or drought tolerant set of the genes, we may identify, for example, I'm giving the hypothetical figure, for instance, 120 haplotypes, that this genotype is having this haplotype, the other one this like. So in all the 3000 set of the germplasm, we got 120 haplotypes. Now we ask the next question. Out of these 120 haplotypes, do we have some better haplotype than the one which we had earlier, which I talked in your earlier podcast, and that haplotype was coming from ICC 4958. So what we did, and as I told you earlier, we did the phenotyping agronomic evaluation of these 3000 lines at six locations, two different years, and we did about 19 to 20 million haplophenol combinations. And based on these things, we identified out of 120 haplotypes, haplotype number 56 or haplotype number 65 or haplotype number 96, they are the superior haplotype. And then we realized, oh, earlier I was introgressing the drought tolerance from the haplotype number 20 because I had only that haplotype. But now I got the better haplotype. So now we have a possibility to introgress these better haplotype and this breeding we call it haplotype based breeding. From this study, we have we are giving this concept of the haplotype based breeding. This is possible only when you are doing the large scale genome sequencing, you are doing the phenotyping. Many crops including rice genome sequencing project which I talked, they did the 3000 rice genome sequencing but at that time point they did not have the phenotyping data of those 3000 rice. In our case, we got the phenotyping data also. And that's the reason that our study is an EMK study. So this is haplotype-based breeding. In our view, this is going to change that breeding program that now, this is something like that, Vivek, when you were a kid and when you were going to, like for instance, your mom asked to bring some toothpaste. You go to a shopkeeper and shopkeeper will give you the toothpaste at that time, Colgate or I don't know, palm olive or something. But now, based on these 3,000, something like that, you have been put in a supermarket, big supermarket. Now you go to that aisle and you can identify those toothpaste of range of the companies, 20 different companies, 20 different kind of packages, and then you will select the toothpaste of your choice and then will deliver to your family, right? So this is the way that we have done now that provided this supermarket kind of thing and now we are leaving. Now breeders are like a consumer's customer and they can go to the supermarket and then they can select 
that desirable haplotype for their choice and then they can bring to home. So I'm saying that those breeders, they can put that particular haplotype in their varieties and they can make their variety disease resistant, drought tolerant, nutrition, etc. So this is one of those approach haplotype based breeding. Right. Thank you very much, Rajiv, for sharing insights from your new research. And uh, until we meet next week, goodbye and God bless. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Rajiv.